It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby-related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. I'm your host for Yoga Birth Babies, and today we're speaking with Laurel Beversdorf. Laurel is an international yoga educator and the creator of Yoga with Resistance Bands. Laurel has written for Yoga Journal, Shut Up and Yoga, and the Tune Up Fitness Blog. And most recently, she is a new mother. I reached out to Laurel because I love her way of practicing. She started with pretty traditional focus of asana, and through her own exploration and play, she created Yoga with Resistance Bands, and I've tried some of it. I've seen some of her online work, and it's fantastic. And as I mentioned, she made that great shift into parenthood. And I love talking to yoga teachers that have made that transition I like to hear how it's changed the perspective of teaching and yoga and their practice, and it was a fun part of the conversation, so I think you'll really enjoy that. Before we get to that conversation, just a few little things. I just want to share that we started our New York City teacher training and an amazing group of people, and it's really off to a great start. We only have a few spots left for the Charlotte, North Carolina at Yoga One. That's in the late fall. And for the winter, we're going to be at Willow Street Yoga, and we're about halfway full for that one. I'm excited as well for that. I'm excited for all of them. And we're already registering people for the spring in New York City, and then we're back Back in the late spring at Richmond, Virginia at Yoga Source. So five opportunities, well, four at this point left to study with myself and Caprice. And even though I've been doing this for, I know it's somewhere at 13, 14 years, I just love what I learned from them. Not just what I teach the people, the students, but what I learn. Everyone comes with their own perspective of birth, their own background, and their own questions, their own interpretation. And I love hashing that out and hearing different perspectives and learning from that. So it's been a really fantastic experience. And then I'm re-releasing Who's Afraid of the Pregnant Yogi pretty soon. And that is segueing into what I'm calling Who's Afraid of the Pregnant Yogi 2, or the official name is Teaching the Postnatal Student. I did a small workshop of it last summer, a few months ago in the city, and I was really amazed at the response. It was a full workshop, even some online uh, people viewing. So I decided to flesh that out a little bit more and create another online course, Teaching the Postnatal Needle student. That should come out, I'm guessing, sometime in the winter. All right, what else? We are in our new space in New York City. It is incredible. I feel so blessed to be in that space, and I have such deep gratitude for the community who really supported us on this change. Not only did people literally help us with the move, um, there's one day that Rob Fitch, is a fantastic photographer in the area, showed up and spent 
like 10 hours with us. And if it wasn't for him and my husband building stuff, I don't know where we would be in this process. So thanks, Rob. And we had teachers that showed up and helped help us move things. We still have some teachers. Thank you, Renee, for helping us organize our office. And then financially, our crowdfunding went beyond my wildest dreams. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for those that supported us. Um, it just... I don't even have words to say how how blessed I feel about this situation. Last little bit before we start to get into the interview, if you are enjoying this podcast and you're getting something from it and you think others will enjoy it too, please go to Apple Podcasts or is it Apple Apple Podcast? Yeah, Apple Podcast, not no longer iTunes and share leave a rating, leave a review, share your thoughts. It will really help other people find us. Or of course, you're not listening to an Apple device. You can leave it a rating or review anywhere that you do listen. Okay. I've rambled and now we're going to take a super quick break and we come back. You'll enjoy my conversation with Laurel. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Every year for my kid's birthday, my mom makes them a photo album of the pictures I sent her throughout the year. And it's fantastic and really a win-win for everyone because I am particularly horrible about executing and organizing projects like this. Now, even though my mom's the one doing the work of making the album, I still have to get her the pictures. And as a busy working mom, sometimes I find that task overwhelming. But this year, I think things are going to be different because I found a free photo sharing app. It's called Family Album. With Family Album, it has been so easy to share photos. I decide who I want my photos shared with, and every time I upload a new picture, my invited guests get a notification that new memories have been added. No more texting pictures, no more trying to shove as many pictures into one email. It has become so streamlined. Organization's also incredibly easy with Family Album since it sorts the pictures by the month taken and tells me how old my kids are in each picture. So I'm trying to get my mom pictures for the album. I can see, all right, I've got some in November, I've got some in December, I've got some in January. Organization's so much easier. I actually wish I had this app when I was pregnant so I could have watched my pregnancy evolve and seen how my belly grew instead of what I have is just some random pictures and actually not knowing where my pregnancy I was. My kids also love Family Album because of the one-second movie highlights. Every three months, a short video collage is created using the best photos and video clips I have shared. They love seeing themselves in these movies, and I love seeing how much they've changed in just three months. And Family Album also offers free, unlimited storage. I kid you not when I say I have over 5,000 pictures taking up storage on my phone and computer. By saving them on the Family Album app, I have freed up so much space on my devices, which has been a huge help. And did I mention all these great features and convenient photo sharing opportunities is completely free? free. Family Album, you can find it through your favorite app store or search Family Album on Google. And remember, Family Album is all one word. So hurry up and go get this free app. Start sharing your memories with the people that you love. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. 
Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, Laurel. How are you? I'm great. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. I'm so excited to talk to you. It's funny. Like, I'm not sure if you realize this, but I remember going to one of your classes when you were doing hands-on adjustments during your teacher training, this must have been uh-huh. at Yoga Works on the Upper West Side. So in my brain, I was trying to figure it out like maybe 12 or 14 years ago. How long ago did you do teacher training? Um, when I was a trainee. Yeah. When you were doing hands-on adjustments in the train, like I remember one class. I was learning hands-on adjustments. You were learning adjustments. hands-on adjustments. Ah. So this was a, because that's how long... <laughs> I've been practicing. Was there. it a 200 hour or a 300 hour? That I don't know. I just remember the room I was in and you. Yeah. So, huh. and I'm like, oh, were you in the group with me? No, 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 no. You were, must've been in a class. Like it, I think it was a Friday night class. Oh, and you were taking class. And I was taking class as a student. And ah. does this sound at all? I mean, of course you wouldn't remember the class, but like, do you remember doing hands-on adjustments oh. in classes? Or I could be totally wrong. I don't know, but I took my 200 hour in 2007 and I took my 300 hour in 2008. Uh, I don't remember. I remember you taking, actually, I remember you taking a Friday evening class that I subbed. Oh, maybe that was for, it because it was a Friday Paula evening. Labaris. Yes. And it was the very <gasps> first class that I taught at Yoga Works. And That's so I was what I'm thinking of. <laughs> really excited and really nervous. And I taught like my best class and I like rehearsed it five times in my that apartment. That must have been at that Friday night class. And I remember I knew you because I knew you were a regular student of Paula's because I was a regular student of Paula's. And I knew you had like a really strong established practice. And I think I knew you were a teacher. And so I saw you were in the class and I was, I remember feeling like, oh my gosh, you know, Deb's oh my in the gosh. class. <laughs> and then you actually complimented me after I taught and like, it made my year. I was like, wow. And you were like, oh you know, I, I felt like, I felt like the pace could have been a little bit faster. <laughs> Did I actually like say that? that? Oh my, well, forgive so you were, me. Well, you were referring, no, you were referring to, I think I was over cueing. Um, I, oh my God, that I is did. so wrong of me to ever I just ever said a million comment. things that didn't need to be said, but, um, but it was the, it was the Chandra Namaskar was the moon salute and, I and I we're just so well. commenting on the fact that like, maybe it was a little bogged down with cues, I think is what, what I, I understood. I cannot Actually, believe like, it was great I did that. <laughs> But no, you were, you were so encouraging. It came from like this place where I felt like you were just being like super supportive and encouraging. And like, I took to heart your feedback and I was like, yeah, I guess I think I can see why she would think that. And I, and that's something that I can improve on. And honestly, like 
that was something I needed to hear because I was uh, Q-tastic. <laughs> <laughs> Just too many cues. So. Well, we can even talk about that as we dig in because yeah. uh, I love talking to yoga teachers. Yeah, that I cannot believe I had the gall to comment on Wow. Where was my mind? I I, <laughs> but I may have actually asked you. I, I don't okay. remember. I, I remember <laughs> feeling really positive and supportive for sure. Good. I'm really glad. That's actually, I was doing, um, I do online mentoring and I was talking to my mentee yesterday and she's, one of the things is they send me 30 minutes of their teaching and I give feedback. And she was saying, she's like, I really like getting feedback. No one else gives feedback. I'm like, well, they should. Because <laughs> I think we yeah. improve upon that. Like I like getting feedback from my students and, and my teacher trainees. So, yeah. Oh my yeah, goodness. I mean, you, you, in other industries, like you pay thousands of dollars for people to give you feedback by hiring consultants. Right. Right. And then somehow, like when it comes to teaching, I feel like there's a little bit of a barrier or a hang up around it. And it's understandable because I think there's a time and place for it. Um, and it depends on the, the people, right, exchanging it mm-hmm. and their relationship and, and all of this. But, um, yeah, feedback is – it's game-changing, life-changing when it's when it's imparted in, 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 you know, these ways that feel supportive and, and constructive and positive. But, yeah. I, I also think it's how – yeah, and how it's given. In our teacher training, we give a lot of feedback. And both Caprice and I, who lead teacher training, come from a performance background. And I remember, you know, when we would do a show or a tech or a rehearsal, the director gave us feedback and Mm -hmm. it wasn't um, ever sugar-coated and it was just (laughs) honest for the sake of the bigger picture. And that's how I've always given feedback. It's never personal. It's never, um, but at the same time, and maybe it's something we can also talk about, about how we teach your training. I, I don't do it. And I'm not mean, but I'm direct. And I know mm-hmm. sometimes uh, that could be surprising in, in certain ways. Yeah, so. <laughs> I think it is. I think it is. And I don't know. And I don't know why it is within the context of teaching yoga. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure about other teaching, you know, professions, right. but for sure, uh, there is a little bit of this tiptoeing quality. Yeah. Right. I, I like just keep everything really positive and Yeah, I don't subscribe um, to that. But <laughs> I don't either, but I also have seen I have also seen how feedback while, you know, its intention was to be constructive and to provide like helpful um, you know, really helpful information back to somebody about their teaching that like it actually had the opposite effect. And so right. I think it has I'm really to be sure what that's about. And right. I think that it's very complex, but um, I definitely think it has to be given with a, with a reason as to why, and then an explanation. But yeah, I, I definitely feel like yoga teachers and I want to always have the feedback for my teaching because it makes us better. I find that when I, when things are reflected back, it makes me pause and say, Oh, why, why did I say that? Am I just in habit or what's my reasoning? Well, anyway, we're kind of, I hadn't even really introduced everything. So <laughs> we just went off on this it. tangent, which Dive makes me, in. I love talking yoga. So, all right, Laurel. So you are here because you have really had an amazing trajectory of your teaching. I want to get into that. I want to talk about your resistance bands, but also as we were talking about before we started, you are also a new, how old's your daughter? One? No, one? She's- going to be 11 months oh. on October 2nd. So her birthday is <gasps> November 2nd. So okay. we're coming up on one year. So, and yeah, I feel like there's a lot of yoga teachers out there that 
that are turning into parents. And I just want to talk about how that affects teaching. And I had Paula on, on the podcast. Um, I think she must've been like a couple weeks before her third. And I think she had a fourth since then, if I'm correct. (laughs) And how that changed her teaching. And I feel like parenthood and yoga, it's an interesting blend and we throw in teaching. So I reached out and I'm so glad that you're willing to talk to me about this whole yoga parenthood mesh. <laughs> yes. So Thank let's you for start. Having me. Absolutely. Let's just talk a little bit about yourself and how you got started in teaching yoga. Great. Yeah. I started teaching yoga after moving to New York City. Um, well, actually that's not true. I actually started teaching yoga when I was a teaching assistant in college without any training at all, because I was in a BFA acting program. And as a teaching assistant, my job was to kind of get the freshman, uh, BFAs warmed up for a movement class. And so I thought yoga was a great way to do that. And I had just started really like a couple of years prior practicing it myself. And I was mostly practicing to VHS tapes in my dorm rooms and apartment rooms and things like that. Um, and then I moved to New York to pursue acting and I uh, was in a show and the, one of the actors, commented on how she really liked yoga works and was practicing there and told me about a deal. And I went in and one of the days that I went in, um, to practice, cause I signed up for the deal. One of my friends from college was actually working behind the desk. And so through that connection, I started working behind the desk and then through working behind the desk, I sort of got to know the community and the teachers and I took their trainings and then it was kind of very quick from there that I was given classes on the schedule and then very shortly after that promoted to teacher trainer um, because there was at that time for the way that the trainings were expanding and the company was expanding, there was this need for people who had been kind of brought up within the the teacher training so that they would then be able to lead the trainings. But I, I really was a, actually a relatively new teacher when I started leading teacher trainings, which is interesting now to reflect back on on, on that and see like sort of the pitfalls of that, but then also like, you know, how at the time the yoga, um, what, what, what could I call it? The yoga scene, I guess, or, or the way that, um, yoga was, was being taught, you know, we were at a certain place collectively, um, in our exposure and understanding. And so the places that I was going and leading trainings, um, you know, were, they had, I had something to teach them. I definitely did, but I definitely didn't bring with me, like with only about three years of teaching experience, crazy. I didn't bring with me the, the type of maturity, um, that, that I think, well, that I certainly hope that I do now. So, (laughs) or knowledge, uh, or just, you know, years of, of seeing, seeing the causes and effects of things. Um, but I made up for that with, uh, unbound enthusiasms <laughs> <laughs> and energy. That's how I feel a lot of doulas. Um, you know, I remember starting mm, off as a yeah. doula. I was, I, I didn't know a ton, but I was like, I'm here and I'm going to give you everything I have. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about your trajectory yeah. a little bit, because you, know, sure. so you started off, you know, teaching as part of the college and then like you said, you had a really strong trajectory as a teacher trainer, as a teacher trainer, but then yeah. things shifted. I know you started studying the carry yeah. and, and kind of your own exploration. Let's go into that. Yeah. I, I started studying with Carrie actually, um, 
as a teacher trainer, as a, uh, what I felt like was kind of a, a good, a good step to take with regards to just improving my own practice. And oh, my let's own say who carries. We've actually talked about Carrie Yeah, Yes. Who we both have loved and studied with. Yes. And, and we've taken classes with her together before. Yeah. Um, and so there was that. And then I, I would say like after that point, actually, you know, I'd been teaching trainings and I had been practicing very dedicatedly, um, probably for, oh, seven years, six, seven years, I started to have a lot of pain, um, hip pain and some shoulder and neck pain. And I started to question, uh, what it was that I was doing. Um, and my first instinct was to try to fix what it was that I was doing in, in terms of like working on my alignment or, uh, working to, you know, change up the postures that I was practicing. I tried eliminating certain types of postures. Um, the standing poses, for example, were poses, a category of poses that I practiced a lot, um, and taught a lot and were a big part of the teacher trainings I was leading. And I thought maybe those were contributing to my hip pain. And, um, so it, I like to call it sort of the, the, the process by which I tried to fix my pain was one in which it was mostly about eliminating loads and eliminating movement, like bad alignment or bad poses. And it didn't work movement elimination, load elimination. It didn't work. Um, I still had pain. And around this time, I started to become involved with Yoga Tune-Up, and I took their teacher certification training and the therapy ball trainings, and I sort of took all of the immersions and became integrated and then um, eventually was promoted to be able to teach their therapy ball training and their teacher certification training. And it was through Yoga Tune-Up, really, that I, I got exposure to people who weren't yoga teachers or who had since stopped teaching yoga and to... Um, you know, ideas and approaches that came from outside of what I, what I call the, the echo chamber of, of yoga teaching. And every single movement modality is, um, when you stay within one modality, it becomes like an echo chamber a little bit, not just yoga. So I, I got in kind of wind of this idea that maybe it wasn't, uh, about, you know, fixing my, my pain with, you know, a, a little bit more, um, yoga or asana or better asana or better asanas or better alignment in asanas, but rather it's about doing something completely different and stepping outside of asana, actually working to diversify how I was using my body, um, completely. So I started lifting weights is one of the things that, um, kind of came out of that. And I signed up for some sessions with a weight trainer and I learned how to do things like deadlift and swing a kettlebell and back squats and pull-ups. And, um, and so, you know, this is a very different than my earlier approach, which was about movement elimination and load elimination. It was actually in exposing myself to more loads and different loads that I was able to, to feel so much better in my body and, and then actually go back and, and do all the poses that I thought were causing me the pain in the first place or, um, you know, explore, explore different alignment and, and different ways of approaching, you know, being in poses. Cause I kind of let go of this idea then, you know, through, through, in, you know, additional studies and in, in body science and, and sort of how bodies adapt and how tissues adapt. Like I, I realized that like, there is, there is no bad alignment. There is no 
There are no bad positions. There are only, you know, alignment and positions um, that we aren't prepared for or, or that we're overexposed to. And, and, and then on the other side of underexposure is usually, uh, excuse me, overexposure is usually underexposure, right? So what I had been doing a lot um, was taking up my time so that I wasn't doing all the other stuff that I needed to be doing. I was doing a lot of asana and I wasn't doing a lot of anything else. So now it's a little bit more balanced with regards to what I'm doing. And I feel, I feel really actually like feel really good. And I think I'm really fortunate to be able to say that too, because there's a lot of other reasons why somebody would have pain apart from just their movement practices. Right. Um, so I don't happen to be, um, suffering for any of those other reasons as well. Uh, I've never had any like major accidents and genetically, you know, I don't have any things going on. And, um, I had a normal birth and normal pregnancy. Uh, so I, I don't want to say this, like uh, I'm in charge of how good I feel. I'm not L- largely, I think it's because of being fortunate and being lucky to a certain extent. But I have to say that one of the biggest, um, things that led me to feel now not in pain was recognizing that I needed to do more than just yoga asana. Um, I don't know if that's true for everybody, but, uh, it was for me. I, I agree. My body, I do better for comfort level for functionality when I mix things up, when I do. And I also find that when I don't put my asana practice as quote unquote exercise, I approach it in a different manner. So when I do, I like to lift weights. I have, I like to cycle. So when I focus on that, my intention for my asana practice is more playful and exploratory than mm-hmm. feeding. Granted, I'm going to out myself as a little crazy body image mind. So if I don't use the asana practice to quiet that exercise mind, mm-hmm. then I can approach it in a different manner. So I like the idea of balance. Plus, um, I think I can relate to you in the fact that I'm very hypermobile. And mm-hmm. if I don't find strength and stability, it's easy to overstretch and cause yeah. more pain. Like I yeah. had to learn how to control my whole SI joint situation. And that had to do with a lot of um, stability and strength because I could yep. easily exploit all my hypermobile joints. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing. I had some SI joint pain as well. And I found, I found that it was the strength training that really helped. So what in led you into the whole resistance band? Cause that I've been playing with resistance bands for a while, kind of like in my basement, just kind of working them out, <laughs> my asanas. And I like them. Yeah. <laughs> my kids would be like, what, what are you doing? Tying yourself up yeah. um, with these things. And they'd like to play with them in a different manner. So talk to me a little bit about how you even found that. And it seems to be something that really resonates with you. And then what it offer to you in your practice and what happened? I'm offering so many questions at once. And then when you do approach your practice without the bands, what kind of impression do you still have with it? Like you, you're yeah. used to using it. And then when you're not, you know, tell me all about that. Yeah. Well, I, I started to use bands in a class called a yoga class, actually like very early on at the beginning of my teaching career with Jason Ray Brown. <gasps> Was of, yeah, he was really ahead of the, he was kind of, many of levels. curve with regards to how he was presenting asana mm-hmm. and he would use resistance bands in his classes. He talked a lot about the, the kind of discrepancy between pushing and pulling. And, um, so he would use, uh, resistance bands in very targeted ways toward, um, meeting the under met needs of 
the body with regards to yoga. So if there's not a lot of pulling in asana, we're going to use these bands to do some pulling. And it made total sense and it felt really good. Um, and then, I don't know, I, I stopped practicing with Jason and I think just kind of went separate directions. And with that sort of wasn't thinking about resistance bands as much. And then when I started lifting weights again, actually my weight trainer, Elizabeth, had me using the bands as warm-up. And, uh, you know, we would do like different, different things like monster walks, which is a really common strength and conditioning move with a short band around your thighs. And then you walk sideways and it warms up your, your lateral, uh, hip muscles. And then we would do good mornings with a band around the base of the neck and the feet. And you would basically just do like a hip hinge to warm up the the posterior chain and things like that. And I was like, Oh, right. Like I have these and I could be doing stuff with these. Um, and the, the monster walks felt amazing because as I said, like I did have some SI joint pain and I found that those were actually immediately helpful with regards to like actually just immediately getting me out of pain would be to do some monster walks. It was kind of bizarre. It was amazing. Um, so I just started actually, I pulled out my resistance bands. I bought more resistance bands and I started playing and it was also around this time that Julia Pline was posting a lot about some of the resistance bands works that she was doing in the city. And then a couple of other teachers started to play. And like, it's been a combination of playing around at home, getting inspiration online, um, and, and continuing to sort of apply what I knew about lifting weights and, and, and strength training, um, to it. But, you know, I, we both studied with Carrie, you know, Carrie is like an incredibly playful teacher who uses props in myriad ways and is always finding new ways in and resistance bands became another prop like a belt or a block or a blanket that I could use to enhance sensory feedback within postures, not only to get strong and not only to contact those under-contacted regions that we don't necessarily strengthen as much in yoga, but also to like make certain parts of my body more aware and able to feel more um, and to have like a completely new experience in the poses. And honestly, that's why I love using resistance bands more actually than strengthening and more actually than, um, you know, varying the load. It's, it's actually less for sort of a, it's less for therapeutic purposes. It's more really for aesthetic purposes. And when I say aesthetic, I'm not talking about what it looks like. I'm talking about what it feels like the aesthetics of feeling and that I'm very, very interested in that felt sense, that felt experience when I practice yoga. And that's actually the reason that I practice yoga is to have a felt experience that is, um, that is different, that is, that feels nourishing and good, but that is different. And so that's why I love using props. That's why I love using blankets on the floor, sliding around and blocks in different ways against the wall and, um, yoga belts and, and resistance bands and therapy balls is because they actually give, uh, my practice. And, and as a teacher, I like to share this as well. They give my practice more felt variety with regards to what, what, what you feel and what you become more aware of or what you can sense better. Um, so the resistance bands can be used in 
literally an infinite number of ways to do that in addition to making you stronger, in addition to helping kind of target those blind spots. So I just, I see, um, creatively so much potential and love playing and love sharing. Yeah. And you really, people really respect what you've done. You're, you're teaching these all over the place. And I think it's great. I really like the idea that asana doesn't have to be presented in one way that there can be so many kind of offshoots of asana. (laughs) And I feel like that has changed in the last, I don't even, I couldn't even put a cap number on it, but from when I started taking yoga back in, I'm going to date myself, I think like 1996. <laughs> yeah, old school. Old school, very much. Um, to to now, things have really, like, you know, there's chair yoga, there's a lot of stuff that Carrie does that's playful, there's resistant band. There, I mean, I think goat yoga is a little much, but that's just my opinion. <laughs> um, that's a whole other conversation. But yeah. the idea that we can step out of this is the lineage and how can asana be explored, like the way we at prenatal yoga center, the way we teach asana, that's just a tool for us mm-hmm. to go deeper, um, mm-hmm. and to learn about our bodies and learn about our thresholds. So I like that you're using the container of asana for exploration, especially yeah. with the resistance bands. It sounds a lot of fun. And I know that your experimentation of asana, there seems to be, and from what I, I listened to a lot of your other podcasts, I've been reading about stuff, your interpretation of cues, I'm guessing, might have shifted in terms of like rules. Am I correct about uh, that? Yeah, with like <laughs> alignment, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So, you know, someone commented on a post, I'm, I'm, I'm posting a lot, you know, around this topic of alignment, um, basically uh, that alignment has been confused with safety and I felt like I can't remember what, who said it and I can't believe, or can't remember exactly what they wrote, but it was something like, we need to stop conflating alignment with safety. Um, and I just think that that was, it encapsulated so well what my experience had been, which was like, here I was in pain trying to fix my problem with alignment when actually what my body and nervous system needed to feel safe had nothing to do with alignment and everything to do with how I was loading my body, which includes alignment, of Mm -hmm. course, right? Geometry, pose geometry, position is a load parameter, but it is not uh, the only factor. And, you know, adding external load in the form of weights of the gym and resistance bands um, was, which, which was, which uh, was, excuse me, a much bigger piece of the puzzle that I had been missing. So, um, we, I think we like to focus, you know, on solving problems using the skills and strategies that we're really good at. I had become very good at teaching alignment. And so of course I have a problem. I'm going to pull out my trusty hammer that I've been using to like, try to fix it right? Or whatever tool you want to equate alignment instructed to, maybe not a hammer. (laughs) (laughs) Bang that knee into place. (laughs) And and it turned out it was the wrong tool, right? I Mm -hmm. needed actually, I needed to move and load in a different way. Um, So how has my cueing changed? Uh, I think my cueing has changed. It's so, so, so much so, but you know, not entirely because I still, uh, 
I still lean, I still lean on my like oldest, my oldest teachings, my oldest instruction. I mean, we all come from somewhere and it's often like our first exposure to a topic is the one that sits with us the longest. That's why like teaching beginners is such a, is such a big deal because you're teaching someone something for the first time. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's probably going to have a big impact on how they are able to learn the thing going forward. Um, so I do definitely, uh, utilize a lot of the queuing strategies that I've been using from the beginning. But in addition to that, I'd say my awareness has expanded to, um, include, uh, what I would say, like maybe more, um, education and information around like how motor learning actually happens and the ways that we can use our cues to teach motor learning. And then also like how positive adaptations in the body actually happen, right? Which is a part of motor learning, which sometimes has nothing to do with the position of the body, but rather like the task that you've given the body to perform, which, Mm -hmm. you know, we'll, we'll, uh, give our bodies a task to perform and our bodies will work it out, right? They'll kind of already know sort of how to do that task, but it's in doing the task really that we, that we, um, load our bodies and that we potentially improve the way our bodies adapt to those loads. So, um, I definitely, uh, am not what I would say, like kind of giving TMI all the time, too much information, and saying less. So that's a big one. Um, providing a, uh, providing an exercise or a pose and, um, imposing certain limits on it. Right. So uh, imposing some kind of challenge or task, but keeping it really simple, how I cue that challenge or task so that it's doable and it's not overwhelming. And then taking that sort of same exercise or pose and kind of looking at it and approaching it in different ways. So changing, maybe changing its orientation to gravity, maybe adding a different prop, maybe putting the band on in a different way. And so using repetition with a slight change to, um, give, give myself, give students another, another go at it, but in a slightly different way. And so this is, this is really, um, much more in line, I think, with, with how we learn, right? We learn through repetition and, and an overload of information is, is detrimental to learning. So we have to keep our cues simple. Um, and before I think what I was doing is I was, I was teaching, I wasn't teaching movement as much as I was, um, I was, uh, giving enough information to people so that they would perform the pose in a particular way as opposed to embody it. Yes. So that like, if they left and went home the next day and tried to do the thing that I was teaching them, they wouldn't be able to do it themselves because they really needed me to give them all the cues to put them in the position to do the thing. And that's much more of a performance, right? Mm -hmm. So to really teach people motor learning that they can then go and sort of reproduce without you in the room. Um, the, the approach is, is usually going to look a lot different than, than how, uh, trainees are typically taught to teach yoga in a, in a teacher training. Um, but teacher trainings are evolving rapidly. So, um, I don't know, I, I'm not speaking for all teacher trainings for sure. <laughs> well, I actually want to dip into that because that's something I get very excited to talk about is teacher trainings. I teach 
what I'd say like in a, an advanced level, because all our teacher trainees have to have a 200 hour under them. Because mm-hmm. I thought my thoughts are like, I'm teaching you to look at a pose and modify in many different ways for many things that come up. And if you don't have the foundation, how are you going to, it's like teaching your daughter who's probably going to, who's probably figuring out a little standing and falling and standing and falling. Like you can't say like, go run. Cause she's just trying mm-hmm. to take a few steps. Right, so, exactly. yeah. And it's interesting now that I'm teaching around the country. I'm in, when I was just in New York, there was a, you know, maybe three or four different schools that typically fed into mine. We've got a lot of yoga works. We had some Sonic, we had some sky things. So I got a sense of what each school covered. But now that I'm teaching around the country, I'm seeing I don't know if the disparity is the word, but difference in what people come out of a 200 hour with. So yeah. I'd love to dive into a little bit about teacher trainings. Yeah. And yeah, I have to, I'm going to edit my, my brain because sometimes I can get a little sharp um, about <laughs> what I think is not being taught. So I'll try to be kind about that. But if, when you finish your teacher trainings, what are a couple of tools that you think new teachers really need to walk away with and integrate? Like if you could pick three tools or principles that you hope by the end of the 200 hour, they really can, can uh, embody and teach. Well, it depends on what the aim of the training is. And I, uh, you know, I've taught 200 hour, I've taught a professional program. I teach the uh, yoga tune up certification training, but for a two, for a 200, 200 hour, hour. Yeah. Just yeah, your foundational think, 200 hour. I think that it's, it's important for, from the sort of anatomy, maybe kinesiology is a better word for it standpoint. Like, I think it's really important that students understand the major joints and the ways in which they can move and to be able to name those directions of movement, um, using technical language, like, this is shoulder flexion, right? I'm showing an overhead position. With the arms reaching say, no, up the scene, which is the hardest one to learn because it's really counterintuitive to how, you know, that position of the shoulders typically cued, but it, that's an example or anterior posterior tilt to the pelvis. Those are kind of tricky to learn for, for 200 hour trainees. But I think that that's really important because that's going to lay really the groundwork language wise for them to then be able to continue their studies and learning anatomy and learning about the muscles and and lots of things like that. Um, that's, that's one. Two is I think it's important that they understand uh, what are some of the more basic things that you may need to say about a particular posture or movement in order to get people um, moving toward that particular direction. That's just, that's largely trial and error. And that's largely um, uh, a matter of just practicing, practicing teaching. But, you know, we start, we start off, um, at least in the yoga works 200 hour with this really simple, um, verb body part direction, um, uh, suggestion that like, if you're going to cue, begin with the verb followed by what body part you want to move or lift or reach or press down and then a direction and a direction could be up, down, left, right, or, even better would be up toward the ceiling, down into the floor, out toward the windows, because um, uh, that's, again, it's going to kind of speak a little bit more efficiently to the neuromotor um, system or the neuromuscular system with regards to motor learning. So to, to really orient the body and give it a, a task to do to the environment or to reach in a particular way that has to do with the external environment. But that, so that's, that's one that has to do mostly with like in the moment, 
teaching of movement, teaching of asanas. And then the third one I think is sequencing is incredibly important that, that trainees understand, you know, what are the types of movements and, and ways of loading the body that makes sense for the beginning of a class, what makes sense for the middle of the class and what makes sense for the end before Shavasana. Yeah. Especially um, with the nervous system. I'm always surprised yeah. when I have our teacher trainees do a practice I, I talk about, I call it intelligent sequencing. Like if you're cooling the nervous system down, a really big heating pose would not be appropriate, you know, and, and breaking, right. breaking down. I want to jump back to some, the first one you said about the understanding the different movements. One thing that I see over and over again is so in prenatal, we talk a lot about internal rotation, um, of the femur bones because how the relationship to the SI and how we can start to lengthen actually some of the pelvic floor muscles with internal mm-hmm. rotation, depending on the position of the pelvis, which is kind of my jam pelvic floor. And I'm actually surprised how many students come into our training, not knowing the difference between internal and external rotation of the actual femur bones, as opposed mm-hmm. to spirals. Like, you know, people are like, mm-hmm. Oh, we're internally spiraling the leg. I'm like, not, not the, um, what am I going to say? Like the, the intention or the, oh, like okay. the intention, um, but the actual gross movement. Mm. So if I can put out one of the things I right. would love to see teachers understand is when you're externally rotating the leg, the position, the femur's moving in the hip, like in the acetabulum, like, yeah. as, and when you're internally rotating, it's a yeah. different position. Like we get a lot of right. people will say, I'll say, what's the back leg in warrior one? And they'll uh-huh. say it's internally rotated. I said, well, the f- maybe you're intentionally trying to internally rotate, but the leg right. itself, if you brought the leg forward into from back to forward into a Tadasana, the toes yeah. are turned out. It is externally rotated. Right. Does that make sense right. where I'm going? It does. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, all of this kind of depends on what the pelvis is doing too, with regards to the joints actual position. Um, but I would say that, yeah, it, it can get even more basic definitely than the directions of movement and, and come down to like students having a fundamental understanding of what a joint is. <laughs> Yes, yes. Where a joint is actually, there is no joint. There are only a place where two or more bones meet, where where movement happens. But mm-hmm. unlike, you know, uh, you know, it can't move on its own. A joint, a joint is like a uh, Chrissy Carter used this analogy once um, when she was teaching anatomy. I think it was observing her for the purpose of eventually teaching anatomy for two hundred hours. And she said a joint is like a nightclub. It can't dance on its own, right? <laughs> You know, like it's, it's a place, it's a place like a nightclub, but it can't dance on its own. So, but understanding that a joint is the place, it's the origin of movement. Um, and then of course, you know, it's helpful to understand muscles are the, the tissues that create or the organs that create movement. Um, but yeah, there's, there's so much, um, one of the things we love about yoga, I'll speak for myself, but I, what I love about yoga is I love the esoterics of yoga. I love the, um, beautiful analogies and metaphors that come out of the aesthetic experience that is the practice of yoga and the, and the way that many teachers have become very skilled at, at, at speaking to that aesthetic experience through, through metaphor and analogy. But, um, we have to understand that when we're speaking that language, we're, 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 we're telling a, a type of truth. We're conveying a type of truth that's maybe revolving more around a sensory experience or an aesthetic experience. But, but like when it comes down to like the way that your hip can move or the way that your pelvis can move and the joints at which your pelvis can move, like there are directions 
and they have specific names. And it, ref- it those directions of movement refer to the bones moving at the joints and what are the joints and what kind of joints are they and how do they allow movement? Like this is all really good information to have. It's a lot for 200 mm-hmm. hour trainings. It can be too much if it's, pre- is, if it's too much information is presented, but I would start with how can the joints move? Um, first, what is a joint? Yeah. <laughs> how can no, I like, I really wanted to harp on that. Cause I like that. I feel like sometimes, um, 200 hour trainings have so much, and you know, you're coming in brand new eyed and you're like, I want to learn it all. And sometimes it can be almost over teaching because if it's, if you only have the frosting, and you don't have the cake, like, you know, it's just too much. So yeah, <laughs> okay. it can easily yeah. become too much. And, and, and that is, uh, you definitely don't want it to become too much. Yeah. You want to have that foundation. Yeah, because then what students are learning is 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 something completely different, which is like, oh, this is impossible. I can't do this. You know, or they're just mimicking yeah. what they've heard, or, and that yeah. you don't really even understand what they're saying. Right. I want to I want to shift a little bit because I watched through the love of social media, and you are so open and honest about. I watched your pregnancy and yeah. and your not your birth, but like the, the aftermath. And, <laughs> and so, how did your practice change when pregnant? Uh, it, uh, well, I, I had already been lifting weights for about a year before I got pregnant, which I'm really happy and lucky. I think that, that, that was the case. Uh, and I continued lifting weights all the way through my pregnancy. My daughter was 10 days late and I was lifting weights. So you're like, get out, just get out. (laughs) Six six days late. (laughs) I was at the gym. Um, and the, I decreased the weight a lot. Um, you know, every week I was gaining five pounds. So I was, <laughs> I was maybe not increasing the amount of weight that I was actually lifting by a whole lot because my body was getting heavier, but the weight, you know, the kettlebells and the, and the barbells and the dumbbells that I was lifting, um, I decreased and, uh, I used what my, my doctor told me, you know, to kind of gauge, my levels, which was like, just make sure that you can have a conversation. So I always made sure that I could have a conversation when I was doing cardio or when I was lifting weights. And if it became at all, got to a point where I started to feel at all, like I couldn't, or it was overwhelming, I backed off. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty proud of myself for that because I tend to be a pusher. I tend to be a a worker and I tend to kind of take things too far to the point where I like work against myself a little bit. And, uh, and in pregnancy, I really, I didn't, um, I was pretty, you know, and this is all relative, but according to me, I was pretty conservative. (laughs) Uh, I know a lot of people saw me lifting the weight that I was and they were like, wow, what are you? That's crazy. What are you doing? But, um, I think that's, that's in part, it's because, uh, you don't often see women who are pregnant at the gym lifting. I was. And, yeah. And it's not, <laughs> and it felt it's great. not like common knowledge. Like a lot of people still are sort of operating under that old paradigm of like, you need to rest. Let me, let me carry those groceries for you. And, and in some cases, like the, there are real, very good reasons why you would want to rest your yes. entire pregnancy and not pick anything heavy up because there are some pretty, um, serious precautions that certain women have to take. And I understand that too. Um, so I was always, uh, on social media when I would post, I was, I always tried to mention that, you know, this is, this is what I'm doing for me because of what my doctor has 
suggested or or allowed be based on the condition that you know I'm in with regards to this this pregnancy and and even like this pregnancy right like if I got pregnant again I might not be able to do any of these things because it's a different pregnancy you were extremely um, mindful about that really being this is what works for me like I I actually appreciated that because then other people wouldn't compare be like oh I should be doing that and when I say like I was also working out with weights I had people come up to Tell me they were concerned about him, like, got it under control, not hurting yeah. myself, promise I know. And when you were lifting weights, you have a really I remember one more thinking, I wonder how her pelvic floor is. Um, but then I thought <laughs> okay, that's and then I thought, no, she knows her body, and you work so much with the pelvic floor. Um, but I like that you did, you were really clear. Yeah, I'm really intuitive with what's going on with my body. I'm just showing you my journey. Yeah. And, and it wasn't even that I was like intuitive with what was going on with my body as much as like I had been lifting weights for a year before I got pregnant. I think that's really important. Um, I think that it's possible that, you know, it would be really beneficial for someone who is newly pregnant to start lifting weights, but I would definitely recommend getting a specialist weight trainer, um, who is, you know, experienced in helping, women who are pregnant lift weights, especially if you have a history of pain. Um, and you know, definitely running this by your doctor before anything happens. Of course, of Mm -hmm. course. Um, you know, I, I think that it's a little too, um, it's a little too fearful and protectionist to say like, oh, well, if you didn't do it before you're pregnant, now's not the time to start for some things. I think that's true. Like training for a marathon, but for something like lifting weights, like you're nine months, 10 months without lifting anything heavy, come on, you're going to have to lift up some heavy stuff when you're well, pregnant. Well, then the baby's after. Hot, right. And then there's the baby that you're going to have to and lift up. And, and the car seat. And the car seat and all this. Right. So I think that um, I had been, I, I went and saw a, a highly experienced weight trainer and I wasn't pregnant and I learned how to do some basic lifts and then practice that for a year and then got pregnant and then felt like I could continue to carry forward um, what I'd been learning. And, and at no point did I feel like I needed some, you know, extra guidance because I wasn't having any negative repercussions. But had I started to have some aches and pains creep in that I thought maybe had to do with how I was lifting while pregnant, I would have definitely, again, sought out somebody. I'm fortunate to live in New York City where there's probably a hundred highly qualified, amazing prenatal weight training specialists that I could somehow get you know, in, in front of, but I didn't, I didn't have to do that because I actually felt really good. And I felt like the lifting weights, what I knew about it and how I was doing it was actually keeping me feeling really good. So beyond the weights, what about your asana practice? I found during my first pregnancy, I would go into the studio where I was also practicing at Reebok, which is now Equinox at the time. And I'd sometimes just get a little room and I just want, I felt like a cat. I just want to like be on the floor and layer and I can just move. And I did a lot of spirally and hip, like, I don't know, my practice really changed. What about yours? Yeah. I actually, uh, backed way off on certain postures. Like I didn't do any standing poses. I had no desire to do yeah, any I just That's why I ended up stretching. on the floor. It's like, yeah, yeah, movement was where it was for me too, but I really loved downward facing dog. Mm, it's so love- good in the back. Up until like seven months, I think I was doing inversions and they felt really good. I was surprised. 
but like handstand L shape against the wall. Um, even Pinchamayarasana. Like I love inversions. I've always loved inversions, but they, they had a, like, they felt really, really good. <laughs> my first pregnancy they <laughs> did. that time, I remember. My second, I started pretty early on. Every time I went upside down, I just felt this massive, like heaviness in my head. And it's interesting, yeah. same body, different pregnancies. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you, you're you people, I only have one child, but you, you can see like my brother's sons are so different. I mean, yeah. the pregnancies were different too, you know? <laughs> so let's talk about now, now you're a parent and yeah. you're a yoga teacher and there's a lot, there's a different responsibility. Like you can't just be like, Oh, I'm going to teach all this. And you're like, but I have to take care of this child. So <laughs> talk to me a little bit about how parenthood has changed your relationship to your yoga practice, as well as the trajectory of your career. I know that at one point you were looking to go to physical therapy school. Yes. So I began, I think in 2016, um, taking prerequisites for physical therapy school. I had a lot to take because I was you were I had an acting that major, bachelor <laughs> fine arts acting major. So I had to take all of them basically, which is about 12 classes or 10 classes. Um, and I did, and I completed all of them in time to apply for physical therapy school. And I applied and I interviewed and I was accepted and I declined um, because I, I actually interviewed a few weeks after my daughter was born. And so I was sleep deprived and nothing hormonal and uh, yeah, and super hormonal. Um, But yeah, it was, uh, it was an exciting time. I kind of knew applying though, cause I applied pregnant, right? I knew that it was uh, probably not going to be a go, but I wanted to apply anyway because I, I wanted to see, I kind of wanted to see what would happen. I was curious. I'd been working toward it for so long. Um, but even when I started taking the prereqs, I kind of in the back of my head knew we were, we were trying to get pregnant and I was like, Oh, you know, we'll see how this all plays out. And it was like, after being a mom for a couple of weeks, like I knew that there was no way that I wanted to take on PT school with my daughter being so young and with the demands of physical therapy school and, and everything, you know, that would have to be sacrificed to, to be, um, to, to, to devote as much time and energy that I, that I needed to, to both. I couldn't, didn't knew that I couldn't do both. So, um, so I gladly, uh, declined and I, you know, I'm waiting now to see when will be the right time to apply again. And, uh, it's not looking like it's going to be this year, maybe next year. Uh, but I have, I have it all ready to go. That's the good <laughs> news. Like I don't have to take physics anymore. Um, pregnant. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I got kind of the hardest part is over. Like people I've talked to who actually, you know, went through physical therapy school have told me like the hardest part is actually getting the prereqs out of the way. Well, you got that done. That's good. So that's done. But yeah, I, I, I also, you know, where my, where my career has sort of headed toward in the last couple of years too, uh, that's another reason why I deferred or I decided not to go to PT school, which is that, um, you know, I was at the, around 2016, I started to sort of see 
ahead a little further toward what my life as a yoga teacher might look like if I continued exactly along the path that I was on. And I didn't see that it would be sustainable. I didn't see that it would afford me uh, enough of the types of freedom and resources that I would that I would hope to have. And so I started to lay the groundwork for a career change or or a career combination, right? So to kind of work in both capacities, um, but to have this additional revenue stream. And, um, and then, you know, my career started to shift and I started to do more stuff online and I started to, uh, I guess, um, position myself in more specific ways as a, as a teacher. And, and so I, I'm really excited about the the ways in which I've sort of carved out uh, a little bit of a, a, a path, I would say, and I'm interested in pursuing it to see where else it goes. But I think PT would eventually be an excellent education to add and an excellent set of skills to add. I just don't know when that will, I don't know when that will be, but I've never known any, any of the things that I've ended up doing. I kind of don't, I'm not like a five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now type of a person, but I always have sort of ideas in my head and I'm, I'm usually taking daily steps toward them Mm -hmm. and then they change, sometimes they change or they reorganize a little bit, but yeah, PT school's there. It's, I just don't know when it's going to be buckled down and take take PT school time. How has your relationship to your practice changed now that you have your daughter? I'm guessing maybe you don't have... I remember ta- I asked that question to Paula because I remember clearly she had her first when I was having my second. And I remember there was, and I'll even admit a slight envy that I, before that, she's like, I get to practice twice a day and I do pranayama. And I'm like... Oh, if I can even just do a few pounds. <laughs> and then when I had my talk with her before she had her third, she's like, oh yeah, that's, that's so different. So now yeah. that you are a mother, you know, yeah. timelines have changed, you know, um, free time has changed. What's your yeah. practice look like now? Well, I definitely have much more of a home practice and I protect it. Uh, much more devotedly than I ever did. In fact, I was um, always somebody who struggled with a home practice um, because I really preferred to 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 practice with other people in a class, and I preferred to take um, group classes. Um, but I can't do that as much as much um, because I'm with my, I'm home with my daughter much more, but what the, you know, the cool thing is that actually now, like when I decide like during this nap, I'm going to practice, I do because I know like, that's it. (laughs) That's your time. There isn't going to be a later on (laughs) or a tomorrow maybe, right. Depending on what's going on. So like, this is it. This is what I've chunked out for myself. And, um, I savor it too. I savor it. Not just because I have these new creaky kind of, you know, mom type aches and pains from time to time, but also, uh, that, you know, it's, it feels so good to have that time, um, alone with quiet and, 
you know, my daughter's young, she's taking two naps now. So I still have the luxury of like a morning or afternoon option, but (laughs) I have to say it's, it's actually enhanced my, my relationship to my home practice. That's great. That is really great. Because uh, yeah, if you don't, if you can't get out and you still want your practice, it's, you know, honor than honor what you have in front of you and, and, yeah. and go with it. Well, you know, also like, you know, now that you asked me this question, one of the things that I'm kind of thinking about is that when I had this sort of what I would say sort of like on again, off again relationship with my home practice before I got pregnant, um, a lot, a lot of that was around my ideas about what I should be doing in my home practice and how those shoulds were barriers to me actually doing what I wanted to do. And so I had these ideas about what my home practice should look like. And I was kind of shooting on myself, as my mother would say. And, and kind of creating this like feeling of like, I don't want, I don't want to do, I don't want to do what you tell me to do. I don't, I want to do my own thing, like inside to myself when my, you know, and, and then on, on the other hand, I'm kind of telling myself like, no, you really Laurel, what you really should do is you should really focus on these series of poses and, you know, make sure you take a 20 minute Shavasana and, and do some pranayama and all these things that I thought that a home practice should about. And I let that go. I let that go when I started to practice other interpretations of yoga and also other movement modalities and recognize that like, I'm just going to move, man. I'm going to move in some ways that feel good. I'm going to move in some ways that I'm curious to move in. I'm going to move in some ways that like I've seen other people move and I want to try it out. And then now it's like playtime. It's like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to do my home practice. I have no idea what it's going to look like and that's okay. And it's, it's whatever it is, is good. When I, the little, and I'm not a great home practice member when I do, or especially when my, my first was little and I did the whole nap time thing too, cause that was it. Like that was the only time mm-hmm. I let go of. I'm a yoga teacher. If I was teaching a class, I'd start with this. And it's kind of like when I was a singer, I'm like, okay, I didn't love warm ups, but they were to get my body ready for the songs. And I let Mm -hmm. go of, of the rules. Um, okay, now we're going to do some sun salutations to warm up. And it sounds like a similar path. Like I gave myself the permission to be like, what do you want to do? Because I had a conversation in my head and I still very much remember this. Like Deb, you don't have that much time to yourself let this be about your experience on the mat, not what you would teach another class. And then sometimes I came up with things I'm like, Oh, I do want to slide this into a class, but yeah. I had to give myself that permission that it wasn't work, but it was my time. Cause I likely yeah. wasn't having any other time except maybe a shower that day to myself. Even yeah. that probably wasn't by myself. I probably had someone like had my baby, like right there or something or in the shower with me in case I, you know, if I couldn't find another time. Yeah. Yeah. All of, all of these sort of self-imposed limitations about what we should be doing, or, you know, we, we just can't take off the caretaker hat. Like even when we're practicing, we're thinking about our students and what they need, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like maybe the practice, maybe the home practice is really learning to, to take care of ourselves. Right. Maybe mm-hmm. that's really what we're learning. And that's really what I was learning. And, and, and I've definitely, I still fall into, you know, habits of thought about like, Ooh, maybe I'll plan my workshop or, Ooh, maybe I'll think about how this could work into a class or, you know, 
that kind of, that kind of mentality where like, it's not my practice anymore. It's my students practice all Mm -hmm. of a sudden. Right. Um, but, but when my practice is really working for me, it's, uh, it, 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 uh, um, it resists, it resists those habits of, uh, what I would say are, are kind of like, um, how can I, how can I kind of use this time to work habits rather Mm -hmm. than, use this time to rest or play or, or just enjoy. Yeah. Cause I think the practice should be about enjoying. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When I come back, I'm going to ask you for one tip or piece of advice, and I'm going to give you two options you'd like to either offer. Cause I feel like we're straddling two worlds here, either new yoga teachers or new or expectant parents. So marinate with that for a moment. And we'll be right back. It's time for today's lucky land horoscope with Victoria cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Okay. Which direction are you going? What tip or piece of advice for either a new teacher or a new expectant parent? Well, no one's ever asked me the second question. So oh, go definitely, for it. definitely I want to give that advice because right. <laughs> I've never, uh, I've never been asked. Uh, so I will, I will give the advice that I received that I found very helpful as a brand new parent, which was that you should go with your gut and trust yourself. And if something doesn't feel like it's working for you or your baby or your partner or all of you together or your other children, then don't feel like you have to adhere um, without taking into account, you know, how it's affecting your unique kind of microcosm of experience and, and family. So this was, you know, really amazing advice that I heard from a number of parents, from a number of my friends and family members that like, there are wrong ways to parent. Don't get me wrong, (laughs) but there are so many right ways and not all of the right ways are written down in the apps and blogs and even advice given by your pediatrician. I got advice from my pediatrician that I did not take. And it had to do with, you know, time between feedings and, you know, whether or not to wake up the baby and things like that. And and I, I you know, I kept an eye on the effects of the decisions that I was making, but I sort of was like, I don't think that that's what's best for us right now. So I'm going to do it this other way. My mother-in-law was, you know, especially encouraging too with, with, with this type of thing too. And she came and stayed with me for a couple of weeks and like would constantly, um, reinforce this idea that like, you know what, maybe that's not the way. And maybe you can do it this other way that you want to do it and see how it goes. So, um, there's just a lot of, and, and the reason I feel like this is really good advice for me is like, I'm very much the kind of person who really wants to do things the right way and not make mistakes. Um, and, uh, you know, not, not mess up. So it was helpful for me to understand that like there, there are going to be so many right ways to do it. And I could just choose the, 
the way that felt right to me and see, and see how it goes. Um, that's, you know, obviously not just a blanket statement, like just do what feels right because I do really very much believe in taking advice of your doctor and, um, making decisions according to research and things like that. But, um, there's a lot of wiggle room. There's a lot of wiggle room. And, and so much of what I think we're, whether consciously or unconsciously made to feel as new parents. Um, and we, we went through like, you know, a couple months of pregnancy, nine, 10, however many, eight months of pregnancy, maybe feeling this as well as fear, fear of, fear of not doing it right. Um, fear of messing your kid up. Um, so to combat that, I, I also, another piece of advice is anytime someone tried to give me advice that I felt like was coming from a place of fearfulness or, you know, either they were projecting onto me their own fears about me or the, their own past experiences or just using kind of like fearful ways of, of advising me to do certain things, I would just not take the advice at all. I would just sort of let it go in one ear and out the other. Um, because I felt like if it was coming from that place, it was already wrong. It was already not good advice. Um, so those two things, there's lots of right ways to parent. There's lots of right ways to do things. And if it feels like you're being kind of made to feel afraid, maybe there's someone else you want to go to uh, get your advice from. Oh, I love all of that. I think that can actually also apply to teachers. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> this is sure. really good. All right. Yeah. You, you have so much work you're doing between your online, your yoga teacher trainings, your workshops. Where can people find your work? Yeah. Um, my website, laurelbeaversdorf.com. And I'm really active on Instagram. I'm also on Facebook, but I'm much, much more on Instagram. Um, my handle is at laurelbeaversdorf. That's straightforward. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I'll make sure, is. of course, it's in the show notes. Is there cool. anything else you want to say before we start to wrap up? Well, only that this has been a great pleasure talking to you, Deb. And I feel like so honored that you had me on your podcast. Oh, and I've known that... of you and admired you for a long time. And we've shared some classes together. And um, anyway, I just think thank... this is so special. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Go enjoy your day. Go see your daughter. <laughs> thank Bye. you. You too. Bye. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.